Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets uh, on this Friday night. Buckets, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Uh, end of a, a busy week and uh, looking forward to a few days off with the Australia Day holiday on Tuesday. Yes, should be good. Should be good. Barbecues everywhere, I'd, I'd imagine, <laughs> over the coming days. Absolutely. Great Australian <laughs> tradition. Hold us 100 right. tomorrow, which will be, will be great listening. I'll know, the, I'll know the top five and nothing else is yeah. my usual, usual way. Everyone knows the top five. It's the only ones that go mainstream. The only ones worth listening to. The rest <laughs> of the 95 are just, just trash, Triple J tracks that no one ever wants to hear. Shout out to Mera if he's listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never seen someone get so amped up about a music debate. Oh, it's great. It is. It's like <laughs> it's like the goat debate for most people. That's Mero with, with Triple yes. J. Yeah, <laughs> Triple J is his Michael Jordan, and uh, mainstream <laughs> is everyone else's LeBron. <laughs> oh, I love it. So good, so good. Um, do you want to start by doing your Beeble Ring review, which we touched yes, on in yes, the last uh, podcast? Yes. Yep, so I've had uh, basically a month now to really get to know my new basketball ring. So um, I thought the best way to do it is I'll just sort of cover off the main things I think people would consider when deciding to buy a basketball ring. So um, for those playing at home, I got the Gorilla CV 60-inch model. Um, so they, they have basically three different um, sizes. They have a 54-inch 60 inch and 72 inch, which is basically just the different size of backboards. Um, so I decided to go with the 60 inch in ground model. Um, now for me, so my court is seven and a half meters wide and the 60 inch looks very good in that space. It doesn't, uh, doesn't look too big, doesn't look too small. Um, I'd probably suggest though, if your court is smaller than that to go the 54 inch, I think um, it would it would overpower it if you had a bigger one on a, on a thinner court. Um, but certainly for mine, that's seven and a half, it's just the right size. Um, so I was very, very happy with the 60 inch model. Um, in terms of price point, which most people would consider, so it was just a tick under $3,000 for that model. Um, now, you do get value for money. Um, paying that amount in terms of customer service was spot on. Um, I rang them at seven o'clock the night before I was going to install it just to um, double check a few of the things with installing the, the anchor system and things like that um, and got an Australian person, um, the, the actual guy that runs um, runs the company over in South Australia. So I think anytime you can get someone at seven o'clock on a weeknight, um, it's very good customer service. Um, there was one bolt that was, um, one nut that was missing um, from one of the packets, um, but I emailed them and they sent it out um sent out the next day um with no questions asked and they also sent me a free hat which was uh which was really <laughs> nice. good so um so I was, I was able to just get a replacement from from bunnings to make the install and then once the 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 ones from them arrived i then just switched them out so yeah customer service is spot on so paying that extra money you do get very good customer service in terms of playability it's exactly like you would get at any stadium so if you were to go to a, to a real basketball stadium, um, you wouldn't notice any difference from this in terms of ring, in terms of backboard, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, a, it's an arena quality basketball ring. Um, so no, no complaints there at all. Um, I know I've spoken about it before in terms of 
you do have to, with some of the cheaper models, you have a lot more give in the ring. So you can shoot a bad shot and it can die on the ring and you can make a lot more shots. Whereas this, if you do, if you do hit the, hit the rim, um, it's probably going to bounce, bounce out like it would if you're at, um, in an actual stadium. So, you know, for kids and, and for things like that, that may be a consideration where, you know, if they're not all that serious about basketball and they're just doing it for fun, um, a, a cheaper model might be a bit more entertaining <laughs> for them. But um, mine, um, that model is adjustable all the way down to seven, seven and a half feet. Uh, which is really good. It's got um, an adjustment actuator on the back, which is very easy to adjust up and down. Um, basically, a five-year-old would able to be doing very smooth up and down, um, and is, and you can basically stop it at, at any any height you desire, all the way down to, as I said, seven point five, all the way up to to ten feet. So that's um, very cool. And you also can lock it out if you don't want people adjusting it. You can you can take the adjuster away. Um, if you want to keep it at 10 feet or you don't want the kids mucking around with it. So um, probably what I would say, I know there's there's a Spalding Beast, which is probably the best portable system around, which is about 1800 bucks, so about $1,000 cheaper. Um, so to me, if you're not wanting to get an in-ground system that's something that's that permanent, um, the Spalding Beast could be a good alternative. I, I've never seen one in real life, but just looking at the specs of it, um, it's it's certainly not going to be to the same level backboard and ring as this as these because, as I said, they are basically arena style ones that you would get at any stadium. But that may be a, if you want a portable system that's still a 60-inch backboard with a good quality spring-loaded ring, that may be something that um, you would look into is, is a sporting beast model. Um, and then outside of that, you basically can throw a blanket over all the other cheap um, portable models. There's not a lot of difference. So, um, and there's not much middle ground. You basically got these, you know, these systems. I think the 54 inch goal ruler is about 2,600. So yeah, there's a big gap. So for these these arena style in ground models to your portable systems. So um, yeah, that's just something to consider if you're looking for a, for a portable model. Um, but yeah, so that's that's probably the the, the the things to consider is the size of the in-ground one. If your court's um, more than seven and a half metres, the 60 inches are, is a really good size for it. Anything less, I would go to 54. Um, and if you didn't want to do the full investment of an in-ground arena-style system, the Spalding Beast, I think, would be a nice middle ground. And then you can go down to, to all your $500 ones that Rebel and Kmart and, and all that sort of stuff has. But yeah, for me, the, the value for money is spot on. You get what you pay for for paying that much. It's, it's like, as I said, any stadium you would go into, this is, this is exactly it. So I'm very... Very, very happy with it um, and definitely worth worth every cent. Excellent. Well, and what uh, what percentage are you shooting free throws at now? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm at about, um, about LeBron at the moment. I'm hoping to get clo closer to KD or Steph by the end of the summer. <laughs> I'll just be out there shooting free throws all day long. Yeah. <laughs> or actually until I got the shits because I wasn't making enough and then I'd leave. Let's be yeah, honest. that's right. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I think I think you're right too about the um, the spalling beast because I've sort of been looking at the portable systems and that seems to be the only one that has like a proper glass backboard too. Yes. Um, whereas, yes. so I, th I think that 
plays a big difference in in you know being able to shoot bank shots and that than your your cheaper ones, which are the plastic, because it just bounces and just drops like it doesn't have that that give. So I think that's a big part of where the the additional cost is is in the in the backboards. Because you're right, there's pretty much nothing short of the of the beast that actually has a glass backboard. Like there right. and yeah, you know, so you could probably get like a you you'd still probably get a better plastic version. Um, but it's obviously not going to be the same, and that's just where the the cost is. Yeah. Very good. All right. Um, let's jump into Zion, your man Zion. Yes. He's been uh, playing very, very well of late. Yeah, he has. Um, I've started to um, be able to watch a few more of the New Orleans games, um, and just been really impressed with for such a young player. He seems to know his strengths and the way to play very early. Um, you tend to see with, with rookies and second-year players trying to find out um, who they are and what they can do and, and trying things that are not necessarily their strengths. Whereas I think with Zion, he knows he, what he's good at. And I think, I think he's leading – I think there was a stat there that he's – averaging the most points in the paint since um, Shaq, I think, in, in 2000. Um, yeah, right. And he's leading leading the league in the, in that stat this year in the NBA. Um, and that's that's his bread and butter. Like, he's not out there trying to shoot threes or, or do anything like that. He knows his game is 15 feet to the basket, and he's just doing that exceptionally well. Um, still averaging nearly 24 points a game, shooting um, just a tick under 60%, which is just it's just very high efficiency um, yep. in, a, in a game where you know, certainly younger players can get caught in the trap of you know, trying to get their numbers and being inefficient, whereas he just goes out, takes the shots that are there, um, he, he attacks when he's able to attack. And then if he doesn't have it, he's able to kick it out. He doesn't waste a lot of possessions and things like that. So um, looking at his game, he does need to have a bona fide wing star if, if he's ever going to um, be on a championship contending team, I think. Um, the style of play that he has where it is only that 15 feet to the basket type of game um, I don't think that can be, he can't be the cornerstone to a championship team with that style of game. It has to be like a Kobe Shaq and Magic Kareem, that type of scenario where he can be a dominant force and an efficient force shooting over 60% close to the basket and in the paint. But you need to have that wing superstar to balance that out, um, especially going into the postseason and, and late in games and things like that. Um, and he just needs to get his free throw percentage up. So it's about 65% now. If he can get that to closer to 75 or 80%, that's going to make him a very difficult proposition because if he's able to shoot 80% from the line, 60% from the field, um, and just be that dominant force inside, um, he's going to be a problem for a long time in this league. Yeah, completely agree. And you know what I reckon he he does better than anybody I've ever seen, probably in NBA history, is when when he lands, his second jump is so quick. Like if he gets to yes. the ring and puts one up and it's it's you know missing or something, he's already up there putting it back in, like before anyone's even landed from the first time round. Like he's it's he's like a pogo stick. It's like just up and down so quickly. 
And the yes. way that he uses his body to absorb contact and then finish is, I mean, he's a, he's a monster, so I'm not surprised, but it's still not easy to do that. Like he makes it look easy. It's not easy to do that. When, when people get hit, yes. they go down as if they've been shot a lot of plays, whereas he has that, <laughs> has that ability to sort of absorb it, use that weight, that size, and then finish. And if he doesn't, he's back up there within you know, 0.1 of a second, putting it back in. It's amazing, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, and uh, to, to only be you know, he's, he, he'd still only be 30 games into his career, so you can imagine he's already that good at it, he's yep. only going to get better at that. Um, and it's not, I don't think that's something that you can put a defensive structure in for, um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we see some guys and think, oh, yeah, they're having a good breakout season, and then um, scouting reports are going to start to focus on them and take away their strengths. What he's good at is very difficult to, to guard against because he gets at 15 feet from the basket, attack straight away and quickly. It's very difficult to get a double team to that. And even if you do, he's probably just going to power through it. So, you know, it's a very difficult cover um, for most teams. Yeah, completely agree. And i tell you what, there wouldn't be many, um, there would not be many 20 year olds in the history of the league averaging 24 and eight on 65%. Yes. Oh, sorry, just a tick, yes. a tick under 60% from the field. Like, that's, yeah. as you talk about, for a young guy, usually inefficiency is one of the bigger issues. Like, normally players get more efficient as they go along when the game slows down, whereas he's super yes. efficient already. Um, only getting 15 shots a game, I'd probably like to see him get a bit more than that. You know, up around that sort of 17, 18 mark, I think would be better. And probably better for the, um, for the Pelicans as well. But, I mean, they're, they're obviously trying to um, to use him and Ingram as their sort of two foundational pieces um, yes. moving forward. And the two are not working too bad together, but I do think there's some – they could be a lot better, you know, and, and that will obviously come with more experience, hopefully. Yeah, that's right. And both still very young. You know, Brandon Ingram's coming off a very good season. He's probably going to figure out whether he can take that next step from being a most improved to a to an all-star and, and take that next step. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be those sort of teething problems. But yeah, I, I certainly think if you can get him with the right wing, wing guys, um, you know, he certainly can be a player that um, can be on a championship contending team for sure. Absolutely, I must say that uh, walking uh, walking around the uh, the beaches here, there's a lot of Zion jerseys getting around. So he's yeah. uh, he's definitely got the attention of people, and I think Rebels That's now right. got it. So when, when Rebels got a jersey, everyone has it. <laughs> That's right, exactly. No, he's, he's he's easy to root for. He's very he's much watched TV. Yeah, um, and a, and a decent fellow too. Like you know, when he talks and that, he's not a he's got a good head in his shoulders, which obviously. It definitely goes a long way to, to producing the way that he is and showing that maturity beyond his years. Yeah, that's right. Um, we might, um, we have to talk about um, Geordie Shaw. We have to talk about what's happening over over in Brooklyn. So um, we finally I feel like, to see. I feel like this is going to be the Brooklyn next podcast in about a month's time. <laughs> it, it has to be. It's, it's the biggest story in sports right now. It is. And it just... Uh, it just brings out storyline after storyline. But uh, um, we finally got to see the three of them together, but um, we've had Harden and KD for, for three games now. Um, just looking at the results, so they played the Atlanta Magic, they won 122-115, and they played the Milwaukee Bucks, won 125-123, and then they lost with the three of them 147-135. to 
Now, I know scoring in the NBA is up. Um, I don't have the numbers in terms of what teams are averaging and things like that on the regular, but those are three quite high score lines. Um, what's your take on their ability to play defense? Is it more that the NBA is scoring more or is it that they just, they're very good offensively and they, they can't uh, guard a park car? Yeah, it's, I think it's the answer is somewhere in between. Um, I, I, I do think it's maybe still a fraction too early to um, sort of, you know, go one way or the other too strongly. Um, but one of the, one of the questions and one of the issues that I had, and we spoke about in the last pod was, can this team defend? They're going to be able to score. You know, they've got three elite scorers. Um, they're going to be able to put the ball in the ring. That's not going to be an issue at all. But can they stop teams from doing the same thing? Um, and particularly, I'm not, I'm not too worried about regular season, but particularly postseason, because there's teams out there who can put up points and have multiple guys who can put up points. And are they going to be able to, you know, put it this way, I don't think trying to outscore teams is a good way to go about it. <laughs> if you're just going, our whole game plan is to try and outscore everyone we play. I don't think that's a good way to go about it. You have to you have to keep teams down, and you're right. Scoring's up, so you know scoring in the hundreds is to, to be to be below a hundred is pretty unusual these days. But in the one twenties, one thirties, that's that's getting up there. I mean, you know, we have all star games in the one fifties, so you know, and there's no defense played in those games. So um, yeah, I, I think it's a little a fraction too early, but I definitely think that's their biggest. Well, not their biggest because I still think chemistry's the biggest, and we'll get to that in a sec. But but definitely up there is is how they're going to go on the defensive end. Um, what about you? Yeah, so I I have big concerns of their ability to be able to defend teams, um, especially with the lineup that looks to be there. I guess, you know, every team has their death lineup, or I guess your best five that you're going to run with um, to close out a lot of games. And it appears early on that it's going to be the three of them paired with Jeff Green and Joe Harris. Now, that lineup, there's no height. I know Kevin Durant is seven foot and everyone talks about his ability to play defense and things, but he's... He's a good shot blocker because he's seven foot with a you know what eight eight foot eleven wingspan or whatever they talk about. Um, but I don't think just purely straight up being able to lock down big guys, he, if he's able to do that, given that he's so slender, he doesn't have that strength to be able to just sit in the chair and defend bigger guys. So I worry about their ability, especially against. Um, Jokic um, and an Anthony Davis in the West, if they do end up making it to the finals, but then even on the East side of the equation, um, if Joel Embiid continues his form the way he's going, if Giannis and the Bucks are able to, you know, change things, it doesn't look like they are watching that game um, where they played Brooklyn a couple of nights ago and then watching um, Milwaukee against the Lakers that's very much everything, all the problems they've been having the last two years are still there with Giannis. So um, if he's able to figure it out, it's going to be a tough cover for him. So that's a big concern for me that they don't have very much size on that roster and you can't play a guy like DeAndre Jordan down the stretch because of his free throw shooting problems. Um, and they've got no wing defenders. 
So you've got no one that's going to be able to sit out there and be able to cover, you know, guys like LeBron or um, even guys like Jason Tatum, um, Jalen Brown, um, those guys that they're going to have to come up against in the East. So that's a, that's a big concern. It'll be interesting to see who they look to pick up um, as the season goes on to try to fix that void because it's all good to say, yeah, they've just got to put more effort into it, but you've also got to have the ability to do it. And I don't think those, those guys do at the moment. Um, and they look like, to me, they're the, they're the Steve Nash Phoenix Suns. Um, which is, you know, which Interesting. Shouldn't, surprise, <laughs> shouldn't surprise us him being the coach, but they very much can score with the best of them. But that's a very dangerous game because no matter how good a scoring team you are, you're going to go through slumps. Like Golden State, to me, is the greatest offensive team we've seen, certainly in my time watching NBA basketball. But the reason they were so good for so long is because they were good enough defensively. They were still a top five defensive team. So when they did have slumps, teams couldn't capitalize on it so that they could work through those slumps. And then once they did get their offensive going, they just blow you out of the water. Brooklyn don't have that. They can shoot and be a better offensive team than any team in the league, but they can't stop anyone. So they went 10 for 10 to start the game against Cleveland in the first quarter but come in down at the at, at the end of the first. So you can't shoot better than starting the game 10 for 10, but then you're still coming in down. That's the risk you run by just focusing on the offensive end of the floor. Because every time you score, if you're just allowing them to score easy, eventually you're going to start to miss and they're already, they're already in a rhythm and you're not getting stops on them. So they're just going to keep running the scoreboard up. Yep. And as you, as you mentioned, the, the Phoenix Suns... Um... Uh, comparison is is uh, definitely there, and they've got Mike D'Antoni and and um, uh, start, um, yeah Murray on the as assistant Murray. coaches as well. So it's basically the whole the whole team is there. <laughs> That's exactly right, and it's um, yeah. So yeah, they're going to have to. And look, Steve Nash did talk about that after the Cleveland game. Um, you know, and people are going to talk like Kyrie in his comeback game had thirty seven points but he's a minus five because his matchup, Colin Sexton, had 42. So it's all good for you to get your 37, but if the guy you're matching up on gets 42, it means nothing. Yep. You know, that 37 only means something if you're able to lock down the guy on the other side. Yep. You know, and that, that can sometimes get lost when people look at the box scores. Um, you know, basketball's a lot more than just the numbers. Exactly, exactly. Um, speaking of Kyrie, what did you think about his comments um, where he was sitting there with his arms folded in front of the <laughs> camera, um, you know, responding to queries about, well, majority of them, where have you been? <laughs> to which he gave very little response. Um, what did you think about about that? And Because for me, it was, I was confused as to, is this dude struggling a bit or is he sort of taking the piss of, out of these guys a bit? Like, is he been a bit smart? And I couldn't, I kept going from one side to the other as I was watching it to try and get a gauge of, is there something sort of going on here, um, you know, beyond, uh, you know, mental health or something like that? Um, or is he overwhelmed by what's going on in the world? Or is he just like, nah, I'm just, you know, same old Kyrie, too good for everyone else. And I'm, I'm, I don't have time for you guys, you know, in, in terms of the media. Yeah, for me, certainly his body language to me is just a, a typical 
teenage um, attitude that they're not mature enough to be able to face their responsibilities or the consequences of their actions. So they go into this, I don't care mode, you know, I'm just going to fold my arms and um, basically act like I don't want to be here and you guys are wasting my time like teenagers do. Um, I would have much preferred him to be sitting up in his chair, answering the tough questions that are legitimate questions to be asked after you haven't been around for two weeks um, as a professional athlete. Um, that's, that's part of you brought this on. Like these questions and you having to do this press conference is not because of anyone else. This is because of your actions. Now you have to face the music and take responsibility and answer those questions. Um, you don't necessarily have to agree with what the media's opinion of it was, but just answer those questions honestly. Don't dodge them. There was a few questions there that they asked him. I think one was in particular about, did you understand that you were breaking COVID protocol by going to the party? And he just wouldn't answer it. He just would um, say, I'm happy to be back. Let's move on. I didn't like that. You know, you've brought this on yourself. So you, as a professional athlete, answer just answer the question say either yes i did or no i didn't or, or whatever the case may be i i don't like when they're like i don't want to answer that move on it wasn't that's not a personal question like she wasn't asking why why did you go to your sister's birthday or anything like that she just wanted to know did you understand by going there without a mask did you know that you were breaking COVID protocol that's a perfectly legitimate question as a professional you should be able to answer that um so to i think me, she actually asked it twice too i think she says it at the start yes. of her question he doesn't answer it and then she comes back to it and asks it again and he still says i'm just happy to be back or whatever you know whatever he said that's right. Um, so that that was disappointing. Um, but that's that's Kyrie or, or Kanye Irving, as people are saying to call him. Um, that's that's his attitude at the moment. So I, I didn't like that. Um, but I think a bit of it is I think he feels like the world's on his shoulders and that he's responsible for so much more than than what he actually is, because people have given him credit for what he does in the community and, and what he's trying to do for the Black Lives Matter movement and, and creating change in his community and things like that, which is tremendous work. But I think he feels like it's all on him. Like he's almost the second coming of a Malcolm X or a Martin Luther King Jr. or, or a, um, Colin Kaepernick, which is great that he wants to make that kind of impact and that kind of change. But it's, it's not all on him and, and you don't need to burden yourself so much with it um, to get yourself into these positions where you're taking two weeks off and not telling your coach and then having to front the media and not, not answer the tough questions. I think, you know, he needs, he almost needs a mentor to sit him down and say, look, it's great what you're trying to do, but you know, you do need to mature in these areas and, and continue to do these great things, but we can be better in these other areas that's going to make a bigger impact long-term. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. I, the, the, what I sort of took out of it uh, overall was I think he's struggling trying to balance playing basketball and doing all those other things. Um, and I think it got to a point where he was so overwhelmed by trying to do all this stuff off the court and also play basketball, that it just became too much. And he was like, I'm out. I just need to go and, you know, clear my head and come back because he kept talking about, you know, wanting to be a good person and and do all these things off the court and that. And I, I, as you say, that's great. But at the same time, you're paid to play basketball. 
you, you signed a contract, that's your obligation. It's almost like, you know, I don't want to say the whole shut up and dribble, but you, you can't just do, you can't just focus on that other thing while you're getting paid to do something you're not doing, you know? And, and he, he can do so much good in the world because of basketball, because yes. he's given that platform, because he's given that money, uh, because there is time that these guys have outside of playing to, to do these other things. So I think he just, yeah, got a bit overwhelmed by, by the amount. I think you put it good saying, you know, he feels like he's got the world in his shoulders. I reckon that's spot on. And it just got to him too much. And he was like, I'm out. I just need to get out. But it still doesn't excuse the way he went about it. You know, there's, yes. there's better ways to go about it, I think. Yeah, 100%. And you have to call it out. You have to call it as you see it. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you can, uh, can learn from it and, and be better. Because you're right. As LeBron always says, keep the main thing the main thing. The reason yep. you're able to do these great things is because of the opportunity and the remuneration that you get from being a basketball player. So don't lose sight of that because you need that. That's the reason you're able to do this, which is far more important in the greater good of the world. But if you sacrifice the basketball side of it, then you won't be able to do this stuff on the other side. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's, it's an easy thing to balance, but he's got to try and figure it out because he can't just, you know, disappear without yes. telling, telling anybody. And, you know, when you're on a maximum dollars and it's, it's not, yeah, I wish I could do that. Just not turn up to work, and get paid for a bit. Wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. It'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, did you, um, did you get to watch the Cleveland game, the first game of the big three? I haven't watched it all, but I've watched the second half and the, um, the was it two overtimes? Uh, two overtimes. Two overtimes, yeah. 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 So I watched the game and I, the, I found it very interesting down the stretch, um, certainly at the end of the fourth and through the overtimes, that the, the plays were called for either Kyrie or James Harden to go one-on-one. What, what were your thoughts of that? I definitely noticed that as well, and it's not what I would do if I were in charge. Um, as we spoke about uh, on the last pod, it's got to start with KD. Uh, James second, and, and to me, Kyrie um, definitely third. Um, obviously, a guy's got it going in the game. You know That changes, but I think talking about overall, the balance, that's, that's the way it's going to be. That's the pecking order. Um, I wonder if it was to try to get these guys going a bit. You know, James Harden is still trying to get into the system and whatnot. Kyrie's obviously been away for a while. Was there some, something that, that he was trying to do as part of that? I'm not sure. But, but for me, it's like of the three of them, if you're expecting KD to sacrifice the most, that's not going to lead to a title. It's uh, Kyrie for sure has to sacrifice the most of those three for sure. Um, And, and James has to sacrifice to, to, you've got a guy who some people think is the best player in the world at the moment in Kevin Durant. You've got to, he's got to be the main guy. Like he's got to be nearly, you know, 100% KD, if not a hundred percent KD and the other guys have to, you know, be whatever they have to be percentage wise of themselves in order for this team to be the best that it can be. I just don't think going with particularly Kyrie, I, you know, and, and again, we spoke about in the last pod, he hit a big shot in Cleveland. Everyone knows it, but are we sort of, I don't know, we're looking too far into 
him being a closer when you have one of the best closers in Kevin Durant on your team, a guy who can literally shoot over the top of anybody with ease without even having to get any separation because he's bloody seven foot. Like, yes. yeah. So I, I was, I was trying to think, is there some other, something else here that's going on? Is, is Steve Nash trying to get these guys confidence up? Is he, uh, I don't know, but, but, but that along with the, the, the shot attempts that the three guys had were the two, biggest surprises for me in that game uh, other than the fact that they obviously lost um, because it was not how I would have pictured, you know, looking at the field goal attempts and, and watching that game down the stretch and being like, okay, just everybody get away. It's KD time. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I hope it was because it was Kyrie's return to Cleveland that maybe they were trying to give him the opportunity to close the game out, um, to have the big game, to give him all the shot attempts. Because if that's the way they think this is going to work best, then this is going to be a disaster. Because Kyrie needs to be the third option, not the first option. And didn't didn't yeah. you get a sense that, uh, you're right, I, I hope it is the, the Cleveland thing, and I actually didn't think of that, that's a good point. Um, it kind of came across like he was like, I ain't sacrificing nothing. I'm taking 28 shots. I'm closing things here. I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice. Like, I know it, it's one game, but you can't help but think that's how it came across. Like, Harden definitely sacrificed. He had 14 field goal attempts or something, um, you know, to Kyrie's 28. Like, it just felt like... I, you're right. I just, I just hope it was the, the Cavs thing, was, was the link, because... If they're going to be as good as they can be, it, that's not the right way to go about it. That's right. And it looked like, just judging off the, the Cleveland game, I, mean, I know it's the first time that they're all together, but it looked like Harden was comfortable being more of a pure point guard facilitator. Like I yep. think he only had 14, 14 points or something like that, um, but 12, 12 assists or something around that mark. So it looked like he was comfortable playing that that more point guard facilitator role kd was happy to play a similar role to what he did in golden state playing off off the ball a lot more um, still getting shots and still scoring but certainly not um, having as many plays called for him or, or handling the ball as much and kyrie was going to be the one that gets all the isolation one-on-one play similar to like um, James Harden or Russell Westbrook would get, um, which uh, that if they're thinking that's the best formula that the Kevin Durant will play a similar role to Golden State, James Harden will be the point guard and Kyrie will get to be one-on-one and be more traditional shooting guard. And that's the best way to get the best out of all of them. It won't work because Kyrie's not that guy. That, that's that's going to be what got Cleveland to never make the playoffs when he was the man there and Boston getting one round less in the playoffs when he come back um, when he was in Boston. So they've got to get it out of their head. It needs to be – James Harden, yes, needs to be that more facilitator point guard role. But Kevin Durant and Kyrie need to switch their roles. Kyrie needs to you know be taking 15 to 16 shots – you know, getting one-on-ones when when either Harden or KD are on the bench and picking your spots that way. But it can't be calling isolation plays, especially down the stretch, to let him dance and go out and get his 25, 26 shots a game um, to try to average 30. That's not going to make them the best team they can be. Yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on there. I think you'd, 
like KD needs to be in the scoring title race. James Harden needs to be leading assists in the league or close to. And then Kyrie's got to fit somewhere in, in there. It, it's not yes. Kyrie's going out getting 30, you know, no. KD's. If, if, if KD's going to sacrifice the most, I really don't think it's going to work. I really don't think it's no. going to work. It's got to be Kyrie. Yeah. And, and you're right. Let's just hope it was the Cleveland connection. Yeah, because it's, it's great when your best – everyone talks about if you can get your best player to be your hardest worker and your best leader, you know, they talk about Larry Bird's leadership and Magic Johnson's and Michael Jordan's and LeBron James's. You know, if you get your best player being your best leader, everything else you know, falls into place. So it's, it's great that a guy like Kevin Durant appears to be the most willing to sacrifice, but that only works if the other guys below him notice that and go, well, if our best player is willing to sacrifice, then hell, it's good enough for us to sacrifice. It doesn't work when KD's sacrificing everything and the other two are like, oh, well, he's sacrificing that so I can go and play my game and do whatever I want because he's making all the sacrifice. It needs to be, well, Kevin Durant's willing to sacrifice, so we need to fall in line, sacrifice our game, make sure that Kevin Durant is our best player, James Harden is our best facilitator, and Kyrie, you fit in around there to make make everyone else better. Do you reckon, do you reckon KD's time in Golden State had any effect on him in terms of um, being a bit more willing to sacrifice? I think so. I think going to that system and and that selfless um, equal opportunity offense that they played there and the success they had certainly would have had an effect and coming from what happened in Oklahoma City. So I think he's saying, okay, well, me and Russ butted heads and we were trying to sort of fight for that, you know, number one role and, you know, whose shot is it at the end of games and um, getting frustrated with each other at times. So he's saying, okay, that's not going to work. So I can't try to fight Kyrie or James Harden for the ball and um, for opportunities and things like that because all that's going to mean is we're going to end up um, in conflict. So I see how it worked in Golden State. How do we get that to work over here? So I think that's why he's so willing to sacrifice at the moment and take that step back but because he, he knows that's the secret to success. But that's only going to work if then Kyrie and James Harden fall in line with that sacrifice piece. He needs them to be like, okay, we can't play like a Russell Westbrook did in Oklahoma City just because KD's not taking all these shots doesn't mean we can then go and take them all. We need a sacrifice to make sure that as a unit, we get the, the most bang for our buck. How many games do you reckon is, is a fair amount to sort of assess what you think their sort of pecking order or pecking line is, if there is one, if it has been established in that way? I think you have to give them two, you need to give them 20 games um, to to start to see that. I think a, a 20 games is, is a good sample size for them to be in different situations, you know, games where they are close, like the Cleveland game, blowouts, um, different opponents, you know, big national televised games, things like that to start to see, okay, what sort of sets are we going to run at these times? And, you know, what's the right amount of shots to keep everyone in rhythm because you, you want to do that as well. Um, you know, so 20 games, I think is, is a good, um, 
good. It'll give us a good indication as to how things are starting to fall into line, you know. Um, and it also gives Steve Nash a chance to work out his rotations because I think that can play a big part too. Like if you can stagger it where you get Kyrie to play more without the other two, that's going to give him opportunity to be the best version of himself, which is that one-on-one isolate, create a shot for yourself. Um, but we, we, you can't do that if you've got Kevin Durant and James Harden sitting on the wings doing nothing. So if he can get his rotations where he's playing more minutes with the second unit, you know, that, uh, that I think will help get more out of Kyrie and make him feel better about his role in the team. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think 20 is a you know, quarter of a season or, or normal season is, is a pretty good amount to sort of see some sort of consistency in, in terms of um, you know, field goal attempts when they're taking them, because that's obviously important as well. In the, in the second quarter, I don't really care is who's taking them late in the fourth. Um, and then the minutes is, is a really good point, I think, because there's some coaches out there who are really good at staggering minutes of two guys who don't, uh, you know, two, two or three guys who don't necessarily always play well when there's the three of them together. But if they can somehow stagger them where there's only two of them on the court at a time or even just one, that person can then be, you know, fully them. Um, and, and thinking of, you know, Kyrie against, say, second units is pretty scary. <laughs> yes. You know, because the, the, the level of defense and things like that usually drops off pretty significantly when you get to the, um, to the second, second string, uh, you know, guys off the bench. Um, so if they can somehow stagger that, obviously he can still start, but you just think about how you can, you know, mix and match your rotations to, to maximize those guys. Um, but at the end of the game, it's got to be Kevin Durant. Like it just has to be Kevin Durant. He's he's that special of a talent. Um, and I do think that yeah, yeah, with with the um, sort of learning, um, being in Golden State about sacrifice and thing like things like that, I do think you can go too far with that too. When you're as good as he is, there's got to be some level of well, no, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm willing to go this far, <laughs> but I'm you know a generational talent at some point in time, it's got to come back to me. Like, yes. and that's, that's where I think Kyrie's mindset is different. I, I don't, I think he has that. I'm a generational talent. It's got to come back to me mindset when he's not. And that's yes. always been my, my worry about the sort of the chemistry issues um, that, that, that's going on there. Um, so yeah, I think, I think 20 games is, is a good indication. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be talking, talking about it. Um, in, in 20 games time and, and you know, revisiting what, what that looks like. Um, and tough gig for Steve Nash in his first year. <laughs> very, very tough gig. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Um, you get a championship caliber team in your first season as coach, but then you've also got to deal with uh, the Geordie Shaw of the NBA um, and, and Tanya Irving. I do reckon that... Um, I'd be surprised if they don't try to get some defensive help um, either through uh, the buyout market or maybe even through some additional trades. I'm not sure to try to get a little bit better on that end, because I do think it's, it's something that it might be okay now, but when things get more serious, it's going to be a far bigger issue. Definitely. Definitely. And um, just wanted to just one thing on Kevin Durant, and this is not a knock on, um, it's actually a compliment for him. Um, but you do see some people out there saying, you know, um, it's not championship or bust. Um, 
Kevin Durant's coming off an Achilles injury, this, that, and the other. Now, for me, watching Kevin Durant start this season, I've seen most of his games because I'm not being able to see him for 12 months. You want to watch a talent like that. He's doing everything he did before the injury in terms of he's still, you know, cross, double cross, jumping off both feet, floaters in the lane. He's got all the movement and all the explosion and everything that he had pre-injury. And that's a credit to him because he obviously hasn't cheated the rehab at all. He used that 18 months to get himself all the way back to 100%. Um, and now what comes with that is that same level of pressure. So you can miss me with the, well, he's coming off an Achilles injury, he gets a pass. No, he's done the work to make sure he's every bit of Kevin Durant to come back, which is an absolute credit to him. But now, if you want to be spoken about as the best player in the world and now you're on a championship caliber team with two other all-stars, you get that same level of pressure. So you don't get to, to sit on, well, I was coming back from an Achilles injury, so that's why we didn't win the chip. No, you're every bit of Kevin Durant. You've got the squad now. So it's championship or bust for you this season. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it was interesting. You're right about watching KD. The, the, the ease or, or the way that he makes it look effortless on the offensive end is like, it's almost unfair. <laughs> yes. As I was saying earlier, he, he can shoot over the top of everyone. I was listening to a, um, a podcast with um, Isaiah Thomas, um, Boston Isaiah Thomas, not not Detroit. <laughs> um, and he was talking about the the year in Boston where he averaged 29 points per game and, um, you know, was an all-star and all that and everything. And the guy asked him, you know, at, his, at your height, how, how do you, you know, with the length in the league, how do you get that many good looks to score 29 points per game? And he's, he legitimately said, because I'm, I'm not Kevin Durant, it's all about separation for me. I've got to get enough separation to be able to get that shot off. And I thought, that's so true. And it's also when you watch KD, as I've said, he doesn't need any separation because he can just shoot out of top of anybody. So yep. it's not only is he a great scorer, but when you're that big, it's like, how do you stop that? Like, you know, unless you're these freaks of the world, like you LeBron James isn't that because no normal person can stop that. Like, that and that's what just easy money. And that's why he doesn't, he doesn't even have to work as hard for his shots because he is so big that he can just shoot out the top of people. Like the amount of times he gets it and say, you know, does a, his, his hesitation dribble into a pull up or even catches it sort of mid um, sort of in the high post, just squares up and just shoots over top of someone. And it's like, yeah. If it, if it was six five, you can't do that. You get blocked. Yes. You know, there's a guy right on you. But when you're seven foot, it's yeah, it's it's amazing. That's why he's got to be the guy because he he's got an advantage that no none of that James Harden and Kyrie don't have because they're not seven foot tall. Exactly. Yeah, he's he's the, he has to be the man. Yeah, yeah, um, and I agree with you with the pressure. It's it's there where the people. Admitted or not, they know inside, deep down, that the Achilles thing is not an excuse because the same people were not giving Paul George and the Clippers the excuse when they lost in the bubble last year and were saying, oh, it's our first year together, though. And the same people definitely didn't give LeBron in Miami that first year the excuse if it's their first year or anything like that. So it's, you know, you've got to put apples with apples. (laughs) That's it. It's a a win-now league, and when you put those players together... It's not. Uh, it's not good enough just to get there. It's, exactly. Uh, it's there to win. Exactly. So I, 
I'm just looking forward to watching more of them now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching this story continue. It's talked about on every single show that there is out there. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I was watching something and they were talking about how it was bigger news than um, than anything to do with Trump and Biden. You know, this trade was bigger than, <laughs> you know, the, the takeover of the new presidency. So I was like, wow, that's when you know that it's a big deal. <laughs> that's it, the power of NBA. That's right. That's right. Um, anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, just that I was very disappointed with the Lakers against the Warriors. Uh, that was a very disappointing fourth quarter, but uh, they just mailed it in and thought this game was in the bag and let it slip. But they did bounce back very strongly against Milwaukee today. Um, and LeBron just needs to stop being so disrespectful for calling all his threes now. You can't be that good at all aspects. And now you're starting to do your best Steph Curry impersonations with these threes and turning around and putting the three yeah. fingers up before it goes in. You know, it's, uh, it's not fair on the rest of the league. Even on my best shooting days, I would have never wanted to do that because if it misses, <laughs> it's not a good look. It's not no. a good look. We'd, it's a Nick Young. It, I was just about to say, what's that guy who did that and you know was doing like the shimmy and then he realizes that yep. it's Nick Young. That's him. Yep. That's him. <laughs> Swaggy P. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'll tell you what, before we do finish, we have to talk about Patty Mills breaking an NBA yes. record for the most threes off a bench for one team in the NBA. A record I didn't even know existed, but... 930 triples with the Spurs is pretty impressive. That is very, very impressive. And it's almost impressive as a stats guy that was able to find that and calculate <laughs> yeah. the record. <laughs> there must be some website I reckon out there where you can find these things because I see some weird stats and I'm like, how yeah. do dudes even, do they go and, I don't know, look at all the numbers of, you know, on all the different websites and somehow collate them or I don't know. These a- analytics guys that are much smarter than us and they punch the numbers in and out comes these amazing stats. I know. It was, oh, yeah, an amazing amazing accomplishment, but also something I'd never even knew was being tracked of how many three-pointers yeah. someone's made with one team. Yes, exactly. Off the bench too. Off the bench, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what they'll soon have? They'll soon have you the, the eighth man in the rotation coming off the bench. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that only plays three minutes in the second yeah, quarter. Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's amazing how, you know, the analytics these days are just off the charts. But it's I always like seeing those things because I would never have the time or know how to calculate them. So That's it. Do it. They'll boom as Patty Mills. I'll boom as Patty Mills. That's right. All right, then let's um, let's wrap it up there and we'll come back next week and talk about, um, you know, what's happened with the Nets probably in the next week. Yeah, that's right. The, the week that was in Brooklyn. That's right. All right, mate. Well, uh, I'll yeah. talk to you next week. All right. See you, mate.